Isaiah chapter 59. <coughs> Excuse me. Just a verse I've been meditating on this Christmas season. Isaiah chapter 59, just verse 19. It says, uh, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against Him. Let's open in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, thank You again. Uh, for this kids' ministry this morning. Uh, we're grateful for uh, the time and effort they put into that. We're thankful for the message that we heard uh, from just a simple play. Um, Lord God, we just uh, are thankful for your plan of salvation. We're thankful for uh, how you orchestrated it. It was not um, something man could have concocted uh, or even uh, dreamt of. It was certainly something that only God could have um, thought of and uh, and we're just so grateful, uh, again, for this time of year where we can celebrate um, God with us. And so we, uh, again, thank you for this morning for the truth that you are with us. And we're thankful for your word. And we just pray that uh, your spirit would illuminate uh, these truths into our hearts and to our minds this morning, we pray uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. The enemy comes in like a flood. The Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. There are uh, desperate times, right, um, in life, um, desperate uh, crisis where uh, Satan launches all his heaviest artillery against the Lord's people. All right, the, the sky is dark, uh, the earth trembles. And there just doesn't seem to be even one single ray of hope. But then God intervenes, doesn't He? God um, delivers. uh, And God saves His people. And it always seems that um, He does it uh, in the most extreme moments. In the most extreme times. And not only that, but... It seems that the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against the enemy, against the devil, in just the nick of time. You recall uh, the Lord's people, remember they were uh, living in Egypt. And they got to be so numerous, so large, that um, the Egyptians said, hey listen, you know what, let's, let's make things hard for them. Right, and they had to suffer at the the hand of their taskmaster masters, and and they were treated as slaves, and, and even got to a point where uh, the Egyptians said, "Listen, any any of their children who are born boys, kill them." Four hundred years, the Lord's people suffered, and it perhaps seemed like the sky was dark. It didn't seem like there was maybe even one ray or glimpse of hope. And God sends Moses. 
And God, at just the right time, sends these plagues. And Pharaoh lets the Israelites go. But only for a moment, right? He then has a change of heart again and, and he brings all of his horses and all of his chariots to meet the Israelites at the shore of the Red Sea. And again, it would seem as if the enemy was rushing in like a flood. Right? Again, uh, even the Israelites said, wouldn't it have been better for us just to die in Egypt? <laughs> and in that moment there again, the Spirit of the Lord set up a standard against the enemy. In just the nick of time, as God parted the Red Sea, and as His people walked past, and as the horsemen and the chariots, as they followed them into the Red Sea, God allowed those waters to fall down on them. And there was not one of them left. You remember, in Judges, the Lord had raised up military deliverers to drive back the enemy, to usher in a period of tranquility. It's interesting that how he would, every time, just the nick of time, deliver them. And it, and, and it was in always the most unlikely heroes, wasn't it? Deborah, right? Deborah giving victory in battle. Or Barak, remember Barak, his uh, foot soldiers were no match for the enemy's chariots. And in fact, they left the high ground. They had a position, an advantage, and they left the high ground and came down, but yet God given them, had given them victory. We know the story of Gideon, right, where God reduced his army down to 300 men and gave them victory over the enemy. You remember the, the Ammonites and the Moabites and Mount Seir were coming to attack Judah again and Jehoshaphat knew there was no chance for them. It was a dark moment. And all Jehoshaphat could do, right, was, was pray. Right? All he could do was pray in that moment. It's interesting that that, uh, that day, he had all the people go out and they sang. They sang together as they went out to the battle. And in that moment, God had made those the enemies of the Lord turn against each other and kill each other. There was so much plunder that it took Jehoshaphat and his people over three days to collect the plunder from that battle, which they didn't have to fight, where God had delivered them from the enemy. Sennacherib, he was the one that led the Assyrian army against Jerusalem. And you remember Hezekiah. Hezekiah also prayed. And it says, The angel of the Lord went through the camp of the enemy that night and slew 185,000 men. Esther, a Hebrew woman becoming queen of Persia. Man, in that moment, a decree was made that all of the Jewish people were to be executed. Man, the enemy came in like a flood, didn't he? In that moment, it must have seemed so bleak. It must have seemed like there was not one glimpse of hope in that moment. And yet God used someone like Esther, again, an unlikely person, to deliver the Jewish people. 
as a decree was made that the Jewish people were allowed to defend themselves. And the very gallows that Haman had created for Mordecai to be hung on, Haman himself was hung on. And the Jewish people were given a great victory in that day. Over and over again, there have been moments when the enemy launches all his heaviest artillery against the Lord's people. The sky is dark, and there doesn't seem to be a single ray of hope. And yet God, in miraculous ways, and at just the right time, and in the most unlikely of characters, He delivers them. I think never was there more a desperate crisis in life than when man sinned and ushered in our last enemy. The world was dark. There didn't seem to be a single ray of hope. The Bible teaches that that enemy is death. It is an enemy not only of you and I, of mankind, but it's an enemy of God as well. And it might seem interesting, right, that this morning, as we celebrate the birth of someone, that I might actually give you a message of death this morning. There's four things I want to talk to you this morning about death as it pertains to perhaps the story. One is this, is death is depressing. There's no uh, mistake in that. Death snatches away people in the prime of life. It leaves behind a grieving widow or a grieving widower, grieving children. God never meant that men and women should die. There was no death in the Garden of Eden. In fact, we read the story of uh, Lazarus, Jesus' friend. Right? When, when he had heard that Lazarus had died, it says that Jesus cried. Again, I think it indicates to us that Jesus never intended for death to happen. It was not so in the beginning, but we know that Adam rebelled against God. He sinned. And because of sin, we read in the Bible that this enemy, death, came. And death now reigns today over the whole human race. Many today read obituary columns of people to see who was no longer with us. And many people today fear death because there's this innate belief in men and women that after death there comes some sort of judgment. It doesn't matter what culture you're in, what tribe you're in, what you believe, that most people have this innate belief that they know that there's something after this. They're not quite sure what it is, but it's some sort of judgment. And they're afraid of that because there's this sense of guilt. Not to mention the fact that death separates us from God. The Bible says when when Adam sinned, each and every one of us here, our spirits were cut off from God. We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. It says that the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. And so sin and death came in like a flood. But God promised to send someone, didn't He? He promised to send a deliverer, a Savior. The Spirit of the Lord would lift up a standard against the devil in just the nick of time. We read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says that when the fullness of the time had come, 
God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. At just the right time. God sent his son. You see, God planned the redemption of humankind. At just the right time, God sent his son into the world. And not only that, but it was in the most unlikely way, wasn't it? I love listening to the kids here talk about, like, why would he come in a dirty manger? Right? In, in Matthew chapter 1, the angel of the Lord is talking to Joseph, right? And he says, listen, the, 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 the child that, that your wife was with is, is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Say, what? What are you talking about? A child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But not only that, but it was a baby. God sent His Son not here as a man, not as a king, not as a, um, a soldier to defeat this enemy that we call death, but He sent a baby. I don't know if you've ever tried to grasp um, how far God had to come in order to deliver us. It says that He humbles Himself just to behold the heavens. Now I want to try. I don't know if this is gonna if it's gonna work or not. Um, this really doesn't do it justice, but maybe just gives us an idea of of just how unlikely a ways that God decided to save us uh, to deliver us. Um, so as you see, this is going to be a video time lapse of Voyager from Earth. Uh, this actually broke a record. Uh, this is the farthest picture ever taken. And so what you're going to see is the Voyager going from Earth in time lapse to the very farthest point it could take a picture of Earth. And I want you to take a look at this. Here we are. 
Thanks, Josh. I wanted us to try to just get an idea of how far, and that wasn't even to the end of our universe, how far God had to come. And that's just to get to our planet. When he got to our planet, he was willing to become an embryo, to enter into the womb of a woman. Listen, the reason why God did that is so that he may defeat death. Not only is death depressing, but death now has been defeated. Jesus was actually born so that he might die. In 1 John chapter 3 it says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 to 57, it says this, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this morning, the story I want to tell you is, yes, death is depressing, and it is the great enemy of mankind. It is the enemy of God, death. But there was a time in history where God came all the way through the universe. Came all the way and entered into the womb of a woman and allowed himself to be born as a babe, grow up as a child, um, become a man for one purpose. And one purpose only is that he might taste death for every one of us here. That he himself might become the sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. And the Bible says that death has been defeated. You see, the thing is that that, that innate um, guilt that people have, it's because their sins are not forgiven. Okay? Every one of us, whether we admit it or not, they know deep down that, you know what, they have offended God. That they've messed up. They've missed the mark. And there's this sense of, oh man, when death comes to me, I'm going to be judged. Jesus Christ came so that he might defeat death. In fact, Paul there says in 1 Corinthians, which is great, he's like, listen, the sting of death is sin. That's why people are afraid to die. That's why people have that, that fear of, of the life after is because of sin. It stings. Laying there in your deathbed and not knowing what will happen when you enter into that next life? It stings. It's scary. It's fearful. Jesus Christ came so that that could be defeated. That Ken's mom can sit on her deathbed and smile. Because death 
has been defeated through Jesus Christ. Only get one amen for that? And we all know that it's because Jesus Christ was manifested. He had to appear, right? He had to come to this planet. And, and not only did he have to die, but we praise God that he rose again. He rose again. If he had stayed in the grave, we, all these things that I'm talking about would be useless. But we understand, we know that Jesus, not only did he die, but he rose again. And because of that today, death is defeated. It's defeated. You don't have to be afraid about judgment coming after you die. Jesus took that judgment when he died on the cross of Calvary. You don't have to be afraid of that. It says, perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear of judgment for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, death can be uh, depressing, but praise God, death has been defeated. But you know what's even greater is death will be destroyed. You see, the thing is that right now, I could still die. <laughs> right? Some of us here, we still experience the loss of loved ones. There, death still reigns here on this earth because of sin. Um, but the Bible teaches that this enemy, this last enemy, death, will ultimately be destroyed forever. Turn with your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 20. It says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep or have died. For since by man came death, talking about Adam there, by man also came the resurrection of the dead, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Look what he says here, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Brothers and sisters, not only has death been defeated, but ultimately death will be destroyed. There's coming a time when we celebrate right now Jesus' first advent. And we understand why he came. But there's also a second advent. There's another coming of the Lord Jesus Christ where he will abolish death forever. Forever. It will be completely destroyed. And we will live for all eternity knowing that there will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death ever again. Because of what Jesus Christ did. Now listen, I started off with that verse saying the enemy comes in like a flood. But the Spirit of God sets up a standard against him. Listen, I know that this may be uh, a difficult Christmas season for you. There are those of you right now who are experiencing a crisis in your life. That you feel like the enemy has come in like a flood. Never fear. The Spirit of the Lord will send timely reinforcements and help you. 
Only trust him. One of the things I enjoyed looking at um, was a lot of the Christmas songs um, that we listen to have the word cheer in them. Um, one of my favorite Christmas songs is, uh, I don't even know the name of it, but one of the lines is, have a cup of cheer. Right? Um, it's interesting, I, I did a little word study on the word cheer. On the word cheer. And just in the Gospels, at least, in the Gospels there's three times um, where the Lord Jesus says, be of good cheer. And really what that means is this, be of good cheer uh, could also be translated take heart or take courage. And so this is just meant to encourage maybe some of you, like I said, uh, that are experiencing maybe a difficult crisis right now, this Christmas season. In uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, the Lord Jesus says this, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. No matter what crisis you may be going through this Christmas, right? You could take courage. You can take heart because your sins are forgiven. In Mark chapter 6, the Lord Jesus says this, Be of good cheer. It is I. Don't be afraid. In fact, you could translate as this, Be of good cheer. I am. Do not be afraid. Isn't that great? That no matter what crisis you're going through right now, no matter difficulties you may be going through right now, you can take courage, you can take heart, because Jesus Christ is the great I Am. And we don't have to be afraid. But lastly, I love this. In John chapter 16, verse 33, the Lord Jesus says, Listen, um, trials and tribulations you're going to face in this world, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so even though death can be depressing, we know that death has been destroyed, uh, death has been defeated, and ultimately death will be destroyed. The last thing I just want to share with you is that death can be faced. The way you do it is by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's more than being a member of the church, more than being baptized, more than just living a good life. It is an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ in which you have to become willing to take up your cross and follow Him. To deny yourself. To make Him your Lord, your Master, your Savior. I'm asking you this morning to make sure that Jesus Christ is in your heart and that you are ready to face the last great enemy of mankind. Death. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you this morning. For your first advent. We're thankful that uh, when man sinned and, and death came into this, this earth and reigned in this earth, that, uh, that you were not caught by surprise. That, that you were not uh, caught not knowing what to do. That you planned a redemption. And when the fullness of the time came, Father, you sent your Son. The time of year that we celebrate right now, God was manifested in the flesh, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those of us who are, who are under the law, under the curse of the law. We're so thankful, Lord Jesus, that you destroyed, uh, defeated death, by tasting death for every one of us here. 
that you yourself took God's judgment upon yourself. It was you that went to that cross so that when we die, we don't have to face the judgment. And Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that one day death will ultimately be destroyed altogether. That we never have to fear death again. Never have to worry about leaving those that we love behind or being left behind by those that we love. I pray again for anyone here that is still afraid of death, that fear death, Lord. That they would come to receive you as their personal Lord and Savior. That they know that they can know that death can be faced. That death actually is a blessing for us now that know you as our personal Lord and Savior. For death is the method by which we get to see you face to face. That we get to be in the presence of our Savior. Lord Jesus Christ, again, we just want to give you thanks this season. That uh, even though the enemy came in like a flood, sin and death came and reigned in our mortal bodies, we're so grateful that the Spirit of God set up a standard against our enemy. That you've delivered us from death, saved us. For that, we are eternally grateful. Receive our thanks this morning in the precious name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.